live, Cheryl? All right. We're back live again. Listening around the world, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at the first five verses today. I titled this message Identity Crisis because some of us that belong to the Lord tend to forget who we belong to. So I'm going to read these first five verses. You can follow along on the overhead and then um, I want to dig into it. This is, we're coming up to the pretty much the end sermons for the book I'm writing. So some of this you'll see again if you want to get the book. Um, it's about wisdom, the importance of wisdom in our life, and the difference between the wisdom you get from the, the Lord and His Word and the wisdom you get from the world, which does not submit to the Lord. So follow along with me as I read these first five verses. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, <clears throat> that we should be called children of God. Children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now, present tense, now we are the children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, He's coming again, church. When He appears, we shall be like Him. Amazing. Because we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. And Now look at verse 4, church. <clears throat> everyone who practices sin, also practices lawlessness. Sin, church, is lawlessness. And you know, look at the gospel here. You know that he appeared, he was made visible, that's Christ, in order to do what, church? Take away sins. And in him, in Christ, there is no sin. Look at slide three. Let me ask you some questions this morning. Do you know who you are? No one talks to you more than you. Do you know who you are? Think about that. And with all the garbage with social media, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, what version of yourself are you showing people on social media? You know, you turn on social media and everybody's world looks good. They look like they're frolicking and everything's perfect in the world. And they put up this facade. So it's interesting how people who most of the time put the best version of themselves up, things that are cute and funny, so the world thinks they got it all together. No struggles, no disappointments in their life. But what's behind the scenes? Do they know who they are? Please be aware of your time on social media because you can portray others a very false identity of who you really are and so does most of the others who follow. You can see the identity crisis in kids today. You know, I was led to 1 John chapter 3 this morning because I, part of what I see John dealing with here is our identity. The identity crisis that some Christians are going through. In fact, he, he deals with our past identity, our present identity, and our future identity if you are, in fact, truly born again, if you are a child of God. Knowing who you really are if you're saved, listen, will remove your need to be constantly needing praise and affirmation from others. Because a lot of people's identity is rooted in what other people think of them without realizing, what does he think of me? Amen. It's getting quiet already, Dr. Carter. Slide four. Look at 1 John 3, 1. See how great, meaning how astonishing, how incredible a love. That word love there is agape toy. It's an act of the will. This is the Father's choosing to love us, and what he has bestowed on us is unearned gift. 
on us. That you and I would be called children of God. There's an identity statement. Are you called a child of God? He says, and such we are, because he's writing to the church. For this reason, the world, it does not know, recognize, or acknowledge us. Why? Because it did not know, recognize, or acknowledge Christ. And slide five, the NLT says it this way. See how very much our Father loves us? For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world, they don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Christ. They don't know him. So the Apostle John is beginning this chapter with this wonder and this admiration of the goodness of God. Do we take the time, church, to reflect on how good God is to us? Do we really take the time out to thank him for how incredibly good and gracious he is to us? So as we can see from the text, being his child is not something that we should be taking lightly. In fact, it's a serious matter. Being his child is only ours through the incredible grace of God. This should fill all of our souls with joy and wonder and thankfulness. Ask yourself this morning, is your identity about who you are, is it rooted in him? Is your identity rooted in the person whose name is Jesus Christ? Consider what John also taught in slide 6 in John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them, the ones that received him, he gave the right to become the children, literally the born ones of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's the gospel again. Bam, right there. Notice what John says here. But as many as received them. So I had to ask myself, okay, <clears throat> Dr. Carter likes when I put Greek in here. So so that word received, the Greek word is lambano. What does that mean? That means taking hold of. See, even though God, God's own people choose not to receive him, that's the Jews, there were a group of people who would receive him or take hold of who he is. The Jews did not want to be identified with him, but notice what the text says. He gave the right to become the children of God. So I had to ask myself, okay, well, John, what did you mean when you said gave the right? The Greek word there is excusia. The word does mean power, but the word also has, as it is used in the Greek here, has the idea, church, of privilege and authority. The people who receive Christ enjoy the privilege of becoming the covenant people of God. This was the privilege that was lost when the Jews had rejected Christ. He uses that word become. The Greek word genome, it means to cause to be. So, the people who came to a saving faith in Christ not only received the privilege of becoming his children, but they become something new that they were not before. His children. Have you come to a saving faith in a person whose name is Jesus Christ, church? Because when you look at this, think about it. When they came to faith in Christ, first there was a change in the status. Secondly, there was a change in the relationship. And finally, there was a change in their identity. Because they're not of their father, the devil, anymore. They don't want to do the deeds of their father, the devil, anymore. Right? So their identity now is in a person whose name is Christ. But notice the text is clear. Who decides who gets the right? The privilege to become one of his born ones, his kids. Why do I bring this up? Listen. We were all born physically alive but spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. That's a fact. Ephesians 2, 1 in the Bible for a reason. And you were dead in your sins and trespasses. So salvation has to be completely a sovereign work of God alone. He is the one who breathes life into dead sinners like me and like you. Paul writes, slide 7. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear or being in bondage again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit 
himself. By the way, the spirit, you can see here, that personal pronoun there, the spirit, capital S, himself, who is a person, not a force, testifies. Well, wind can't testify. But the spirit, the pneuma, himself testified, meaning he's bearing witness with your spirit and my spirit that we are children or born ones of God. Ask yourself, if the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling in you, is the Holy Spirit in you bearing witness that you are his child? If not, maybe you're not saved and you need to come to a saving faith in Christ. I also want to take a look at this word adoption this morning. I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I can't pronounce it as good as Dr. Corner. But I want you to see that word adoption. So I have to ask myself, okay, I want to make sure that I understand what did Paul mean when Paul in verse 15, chapter 8 of Romans, uses the word adoption. Well, the word actually means in the Greek, the placing of a son. Slide 8. I like how John MacArthur explains it much better than I ever could. This is what Dr. MacArthur says. <clears throat> the term adoption is filled with the ideas of love, grace, compassion, and intimate relationship. I want to say that one more time. I don't want you to miss that. <clears throat> this is important, church. The term adoption, the Greek word that is used in the text here, the placing of a son, is filled with the idea of love, of grace, of compassion, and intimate relationship. It is the action by which a husband and wife, a husband and wife, okay. <laughs> not a shim, a husband and a wife, decide to take a boy or girl who is not their physical offspring into their family as their own child. Amen. That's what God did for you and I. Amen. When that action is taken by the proper legal means, the adopted child attains all the rights and privileges of a member of the family. Do you understand? That's you if you are born again. You have all the rights and privileges of being a member of God's family if you've come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. So how do we understand how we become adopted into God's family? How do we receive this new identity that you are no longer a child of the devil, but a child of God? It is done only one way, church. There's only one way that that actually happens. One legal way. And that is through the regenerating work of the person of God, the Holy Spirit. As we've learned, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, who applies the finished work of Christ into the life of every believer. Do you guys understand that? Through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, listen, this is important, we are permanently placed Adopted as God's children. No one can snatch you out of God's hands. You cannot lose your salvation. Don't let any false prophet tell you that. I'm just preaching what the text says, church. Amen. The Father, God the Father, is the one who does the adopting. The Holy Spirit is the agent through whom the believer's sonship or daughtership is bestowed and confirmed. Think deeply about it. God the Father chooses a people like me who are unworthy of anything. That's also you. We're not worthy of anything, church. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does he do for me, for you? He wakes us up spiritually. He calls us out of darkness. And through our faith in Jesus Christ, his only son, he adopts a sinner, that's you and I, into his family. And he bestows on you and I the legal status as his child with all the rights and privileges. Can you imagine that? That's a real dad, isn't it? What does Paul say? Slide 9. Therefore, as a result of this, come out from their midst, be separate, saith the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. 
Is there some unclean things in your life right now that you need to get rid of? Back in Ezekiel's day, they used to take their idols and they used to burn them. Maybe there's some things that we need to destroy that are in our homes that don't belong there. Maybe there's things in our home that we're touching that we're looking at that's unclean. If, if we're truly his child, that's what we should do. He says, and I will be, if we do this, I will be, it's in the middle voice, by the way. Nobody made him say this. This is of his own free will. I will be a father to you. You will be sons and daughters to me, saith the Lord Almighty. Amen. Does that excite you? Does that fire you up? If we are truly God's children, then we should adhere to the admonishment. We need to come out from their midst. You need to separate yourself from anything that will separate you from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Anything. I don't care if it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or what. Anything that will separate you from your relationship with God, you need to separate from that. Amen. Two imperative verbs that are here. The verbs are action words. You remember in third grade, right? Verbs and adverbs. There's two imperative verbs here. They're almost like commanding verbs. Come out and separate. That's what imperative really means. So the Greek for come out means what? Departing out of or escaping. Separate means to set off by a boundary or to sever. There may be relationships that are so toxic in your life that you need to depart out of that relationship or sever that relationship if it's that toxic and that destructive in your life. That's very important. There are the words he uses in the text. How do we flesh this out for you and I today to come out, depart out of, separate, set off by a boundary or sever? Maybe there's boundaries we need to set with family members. Church, how would we flesh it out? Those who are the children of God, now listen, please, those who are the children of God must never, ever, ever participate in the sinful behaviors that the unbelievers do as a way of life. We need to separate from that. If we have friends that want to pull us into doing things like that, we need to set the boundary or sever that. We need to depart from the way we used to live before we came to a saving faith in Christ, church. We're not supposed to live that way anymore. Because we want to please our Heavenly Father. We don't want to please the devil, right? Amen. Sever ourselves from anyone who wants to sever our relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, if we fail to do this, it is utter foolishness because we are clearly disobeying God and we're cutting ourselves off from all the blessings that come from the Lord. And we're also harming our intimate relationship with the Lord. So who are we to come out from? Unbelievers. This should cause all of us to think about our own personal behavior and character. If you are his child, listen. If you're his child, listen. He's put his name on you. You know, my son takes my name. So he carries my name with him wherever he goes. If you're God's child, he's put his name on you. You belong to him. He adopted you. You're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. Ask yourself, is there anything in our lives presently that we are doing that is bringing shame to his name? You call yourself a Christian and you're doing that? Is there anything in your life or my life right now that we are doing that is bringing shame to God? That's really quiet now, Dr. Carter. Have we so foolishly crossed over to the other side and broken the boundaries that we set? Listen, we all should understand by now that the world's whole direction is to make you not want to have any relationship with God. And it's so subtle. It shows up in kids' Disney movies and everything. There is a line that's being drawn, and you've got to decide... If you want to walk with the Lord, and, and yeah, we're going to get persecuted like crazy, and it'll probably get worse. Or do you want to be like the world? Slide 11. What, is, what does he say in 1 John 2, 15 and 16? Dr. Carter, I've preached on this many times. 
Again, that word love there, do not love the world, is the word agape. It's an act of your will. It's a commitment. Do not make a commitment in your will to the world, nor any of the things in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, what's it say? It's not in him. Right? For all that is in the world, the lust, the epithemia, the yearning after what's forbidden, the lust of the flesh, the epithemia of the eyes, the ocular nerves, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, as it goes on to say. You see, the world system <clears throat> that you and I are living in right now, in this fallen world that we live in, it's a system of values, it's a system of goals, <clears throat> which does not include the Lord in any way. We also need to understand this, church, and you have to really be careful how much time you're allowing these on your television set. There is a seductive influence that we, as followers of Christ, need to resist. Please don't put yourself in situations where you end up getting lured into something that's going to put harm with your relationship with the Lord. I'm begging you, don't do it. There's a seductive influence. Everything, if you notice, the commercials, everything is all about pampering in the flesh. Pampering in the flesh. You see, the world system we're living in does, wants you to believe that you're autonomous. Meaning that you have the right to do what you want, when you want, no matter what. And it's telling you, everything you need is in yourself. That you don't need God. You have everything you need right in yourself. And it sounds very seductive because all of your public speakers and motivational speakers say that you know it's in you you can do it all yourself you need to do what makes you happy that's not found in the scriptures though it's not found anywhere in the scriptures it says hey verse such and such says you need to make yourself happy your joy is rooted in a person not a society not facebook twitter not tv commercials it's in a person that person's name is jesus christ because you know, the world wants you to make up your own rules, not God, and change those rules to suit your purpose. Why? Because the world does not know him, as this verse tells us. And since the world does not want to recognize him, it's not going to recognize the children that belong to him. Now, if we obey Paul's admonitions in 2 Corinthians 6.17, look at the results if we listen to him. If we come out, we don't touch what is clean, and he will receive us. Slide 12. Here's what it says. I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, saith the Lord Almighty. You're no longer a child of the devil. Your identity has changed. You're born again. That word welcome means receiving or admitting into one's favor. So those who choose to walk in obedience with Yahweh, the Lord, will find that they are received lovingly by the Lord. He says, I will be a father to you. So you will enjoy all the blessings of being God's child. Look at verse 2, slide 13. Beloved, now we are children of God. So again, he's writing to believers. Now we are children of God. It, is not a, it has not yet appeared, meaning it's not been made clear or disclosed as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, that's Jesus, look what it says. We will be like him because we're going to be able to see him just as he is. Beloved, agape toy. It's a very, you know, you can feel John's... His emotion is affection for the church, for the believers. And he's speaking here not as a past condition. He says, now we are. This is your present tense condition. Because we are truly followers of Christ, his children, his born ones, we will be glorified like Christ when he returns. Look how he finishes. We know that when he appears, we will be... I can't even imagine this. We will be like him because we're going to see him just as he is. Can you imagine, absent from the body, present from the Lord, can you imagine what it's going to be like? I, I can't. 
when you're going to look up and you're going to see Christ in his glorified estate. I mean, I got to tell you something. That's, I'm going to be on the ground crumbling at my knees, but I, I, I'm, I'm blown away. Slide 14. And Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Backs this up. Scripture, validating scripture. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, <clears throat> that means Adam. By the way, that word Adam means, in, in the Hebrew, means red clayish dirt, Adama. That's Adam. We're just piles of dirt. Think about it. I hate to say it. Just as we've borne the image of the earthly, Adam, man and woman of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So we get some kind of idea of what our bodies will be like from Jesus' post-resurrection you know, appearances. If you remember from the scriptures, Jesus could appear and disappear at, at will. Can you imagine it? I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to go down here. Now, that doesn't mean if you don't like Burger King, you can go to McDonald's. You can just appear now. But he could still eat and drink. That's, that's fascinating, church. Look at slide 15. Acts 1.11. This should excite you guys, this verse. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking, gazing up into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, look at it, will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Think about that, church. The body of Jesus Christ, which the disciples saw after he was resurrected from the dead, is the exact same body they saw when he was taken up into heaven. Right now, our bodies are perishable, weak, sick and dying. Let's face it. Every one of us is born with an expiration date. But they and we will be raised imperishable, glorious, when our Jesus returns for us. We will have glorified bodies. Church, we will be just like him. No more backaches, no more pains, no more migraines, ladies. How? We're going to have resurrected bodies, just like Jesus. You starting to see your identity now? John tells us here that we will see him just as he is, not as he was. We're not going to see him in his prior state of humiliation. We're not going to see him as the baby wrapped in the manger. None of that. We will see him how he is now in his state of glory. All of his glory. In our sight. Look quickly. I'm almost done. Verse 3. Slide 16. After dumping all of that information on us, he comes to verse 3 and he says, And everyone who has or holds on to and possesses this hope fixed on Christ, on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope fixed upon Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. What does he mean when he uses the word hope? Greek word is tote. What does he mean? How would we define this word hope? Well, the way it's used here in the Greek, the word is elpis, means this confident expectation or assurance. Okay? Think about it. This hope fixed on him, that elpis, that assurance, that expectation. Do you trust Christ? Is your hope, your confidence, your expectation fixed upon Christ? Church, how do we put it together? If you have this hope, and what is this hope? It is this confident expectation that you and I should have in Christ. It is a hope, church, of seeing Jesus Christ and being changed to be just like him. Do we have this hope? Do we trust him? Think about it. The people that know you, the people that know me over the past two weeks, ask yourself this question. Do they see it revealed in your life and my life that you trust Christ? Do they see in your life and my life 
that our hope is fixed upon him. Not on the social security system, not on the free check, not on all that. Do they see our hope is in a person of Christ? Do they see that we trust him? How does it show up in your life? Does that make them want to know more about who he is because they see that in you? Or do we keep living like the world and sort of like, well, there's no difference between that Christian and the world the way I'm living. Which side are we on? That's too quiet now. It's too quiet, Dr. Corner. Notice how John completes this verse. This hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hognidzo, pure. <clears throat> okay, so John, what did you mean when you used the word pure? I don't see a bottle of ivory soap on my page here, Lord, so what do you mean? Hognizo. Free from contamination. Being set apart. And as it is used here, listen, this is important. To abstain from immoral behaviors or practices to rid yourself of sinful, corrupt behaviors. Hognizo. Living a set-apart life. Abstaining from the immoral behaviors and practices. Ridding yourself of sinful, corrupt behaviors. If you read the scriptures, those, the Holy Spirit will bring those behaviors to your life to repent of and turn away from. Slide 17. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse, let us cleanse ourselves from all the defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. How do I purify myself? How do I cleanse myself? Well, first, I need to have my hope fixed on Christ. Without him, I'm going to live like the devil. Without the Holy Spirit in me, I'm going to practice everything I used to practice before I ever came to faith in Christ. We are taught that we can have our confidence in Christ to be able to live a morally clean, healthy life. When we live according to his principles, where are they found? In his word. Secondly, we need to avoid everything and every practice which is the opposite of the doctrines of God. These things which tend to pollute the soul. And again, do not place yourself in a position or with people who entice you to fall into sin. That means if you're dating somebody, you wait until you're married before you have any intimacy with that person. She is not like a used car, gentlemen, that you can trade in when you're done with her and find another one. Same thing, ladies. I'm telling you like it is. That's the way it is. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, not his girlfriend, not shacking up. doesn't say shack up and see if it works out. If it don't, throw her to the curb. Let's get to the next one. It doesn't say that. For this cause, a man shall leave his parents and be joined to his wife. The aner will be joined to the gune. That's what it says. And when you don't do it that way, well, if you really want me to tell you what the Bible says, I'm going to tell you. When you do that to her, you actually make her a prostitute. You a fornicator. That's what the Bible says in 1 John 6. You don't want to treat the woman that you love that way, do you? Isn't she worth the wait? Now it's too quiet now, Dr. Carter. I don't know. Let's go on. Slide 18. Romans 18.4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her what? Sins. And receive the plagues. Slide 19. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts what? Good morals. All the wisdom you need to live a godly life is found in the 66 canonical books called the Bible. That's what I've been preaching on for the past half a year. And Dr. Carter as well. It's right there. If you really want to honor him, if you say you love him and you trust him, he tells us how we can honor him and glorify him right there in the scriptures. It doesn't say, well, spend 16 hours on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. It doesn't say that. Hasn't our sin plagued our lives enough? I know mine has. So what do we need to do, church? We need to keep our eyes on Christ because he is our hope. We need to live our lives set apart for him. We should look attractive to them in a way that they're like, wow, I want to know that Jesus. Look at that. I know that person before he or she got saved. Look at the way they're living now. 
There's something different. Just because you're not your own, there's some, there, the Holy Spirit's in you. Slide, slide 20. Verse 4, and we're just about done. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And that is what sin is. Sin is lawlessness. What does that mean? Lawlessness means the breaking and violating of God's law by transgression or neglect, living an unrestrained and unregulated life by his commands and his will. It's a very powerful verse. Let's face it. None of us likes to be called on the carpet when we're sin. No one likes it when our sin's exposed. We don't like that. It, it, it crushes our pride. In fact, today, most people, especially in the church, and especially in the church, this is what really is frightening, don't think that the sins they commit are all that serious. How many sins would I have to commit not to make it into heaven? One sin. One sin, church. Sin is serious. It's serious enough that our Savior bled and died on that cross. Amen? Amen. So in the church, they think what little wrong they do could never be looked at as sin. That's the lie of the devil, whispering in your ear. You're not all that bad. Look at so-and-so and how they're at over there. Look at so-and-so over there, how they're living. You're not all that bad. It's amazing how we can, you know, it's, it's kind of like we need the Visine treatment to get the red out so we can see ourselves as we really are. To them, they think only what? Slide 21. Ah, I made a mistake. It's a shortcoming. Nah, it's just a character flaw of mine. Ah, it was a bad decision. An irrational behavior. Psychological quirk. Excuse it away. Excuse it away. Anything but sin. Don't call it sin. So what is sin? And again, here's the wisdom from God's word. What is sin? Church, the Hebrew, the Greek word means missing the mark. Sin is an act of disobedience to God's law. In fact, in the Old Testament, sin has, uh, different words are used for the word sin in the Old Testament. Guilt, iniquity, twisted, perverted, crimes, offenses. See, the idea in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it portrays sin as a perversion of life. A twisting out of the right way, a perversion of truth, a twisting error. It's kind of like, I've used this many years ago, you have a bicycle and the front wheel is bent. And so you're trying to ride straight, but the wheel's so bent that you're twisting out of the right way. You're going off course. You're twisting into error. So we can ask ourselves some honest questions. Are there areas of our lives right now that are twisted out of control because of indwelling sin? Things we need to repent of. Is there ongoing misery in your life or my life because we continue to live a life of disobedience to the Lord because we just want our own way? We're living in a society that says you can have what you want your way when you want it how you want it. Church sin shows a life as if there's no God and no law which you and I are to obey. Look at slide 22, which she has up. Sin is living the way I want instead of living like God wants me to live. That's what sin is. It's living the way I want instead of living like God wants me to live. Sin, church, is not trusting God instead of believing what he says. Sin is rebelling against God instead of doing what he says. Sin is trespassing where one should not go. It is ungodliness and sin is unbelief. Hopefully right now, or by now, we can start to see the contrast between wisdom and lies, light, darkness, truth, and error, between the children of God and the children of the devil. See, John is building on this contrast theme here between those who obey the word of God and those who just break it. So we can ask the question here, well then, what good is the law? We're not under the law, Pastor Jack. We're under grace. Well, that's true, but the law is still our tutor. He didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law, which we couldn't do. The law is important. So what can we say about the law? Well, first, God's law reveals to you and I the perfect righteousness of God and our own shortcomings that point us to Christ for salvation. Secondly, the law restrains evil through the threat of punishment. And third, the law provides for you and I guidance 
as we seek to live humble in humble gratitude because of what Christ has done for us. We want to honor him and obey him and love him. Hear me this morning. You don't need to compare yourself with others who call themselves Christians. It doesn't work that way. You would be amazed at some of the people when my wife and I, many years ago, when we first came to faith in Christ, they, we put these people on pedestals. And we were like, oh. I used to look at the guy like, oh, I can never be a dad like that. Oh, look at these people. And now half of them that we know are divorced. They're not even in ministry anymore. Don't compare yourself to Christians. Only to the Word of God. Stop looking at the world and saying to yourself, well, I'm not as bad as those people over there. Yes, we all are. Amen. Compare yourself to what the Word of God says. Living for God requires us to be narrow gate people. I'm going to finish up with this real quick. Slide 23. Narrow gate people. This is Jesus towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, sitting up on the rock. The people are out there listening to him. The real disciples that really are, are still there. And this is what he says. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through that gate. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. So you have two gates. You have two groups of people. The people that are going through the wide gate and the people that go through the narrow gate. So Jesus is delivering, the, coming to the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Most of the people that day are supposed disciples, but many of them only in a very loose sense were disciples. There were many that weren't completely committed Christians. They commit so far, but that, you know, other things take more importance than walking with the Lord. In fact, the majority of them there weren't even dedicated disciples. Kind of like what we see in the church today. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Jesus is sitting there, and, and he's the traffic director. He's saying, go through that narrow gate over there. But Lord, look at how nice that gate is over here. It's wide. Everybody's going that way. They can slide on in. Jesus said, now listen. He says, listen. Let's go through that narrow gate over there. The stenos gate. It's what we call an arist imperative in the Greek, which means in the English, it's a command to do something. This wasn't a multiple choice deal. The, the, the idea of the narrow gate, the stenos gate, listen. The idea of this gate is, now listen, don't miss this. It's moving very carefully through obstacles. See, going through this gate, there's going to be a lot of obstacles in the way, stumbling blocks to knock you off. It's going to have you, like, looking back. Oh, look at the pots of meat we had back when we were in Egypt. That's what it's going to say. Oh, life was easier when you were just living like the devil over here. You could suck down the booze, get high, snort your crack and heroin and do all that stuff. Look, look how much easier life was back here. Jesus saying, no, you need to go through this gate here. There's going to be obstacles, but I got your hand, babe. I'm going to walk you through it. You're not going to go alone. Amen. The, the problem, church, is that narrow gate, it's a confining gate. It's a tight place. And listen, it's going to press upon your life a lot. Amen. There's obstacles you're going to have to deal with. The travelers go through this gate. They have a name. They're called the few. In order to enter through this narrow gate, now listen to me. In order to listen through this narrow gate, you're going to need to strip yourself of many things that are getting in the way of your life. You're going to have to strip yourself of the earthly desires, the unforgiving spirit. You're going to have to strip yourself of the selfishness, the self-righteousness, the pride, the arrogance, the bitterness, and the hatred. All that's got to be stripped away. Amen. Who do you have a problem with that you haven't forgiven? You must strip yourself of all self-sufficiency. You need to repent and strip yourself of all the baggage of sin and self-will to travel that gate. It requires, listen, 
Going through the stenos, narrow gate, requires leaving behind the love of sin, leaving behind the love of world, and it requires genuine repentance on your part and my part. The stenos gate. But he's going to take you by the hand and walk you through it. And instead of looking back at Egypt, you're going to look to him. And if you don't see his hand, trust his heart. Amen. He's got your back. Amen. But see, the wide gate, they have a name too. They're called the many. And it's a spacious gate. You see, the wide gate is easily entered. You can bring all the baggage in your life with you. In fact, church, there's a large crowd of people. They can enter that gate all at once. No social distancing or masks needed here. Mm -hmm. In fact, you can go through this gate. You can keep your pride. Bring all your hedonistic self-indulgence. There's no demands. No discipline. Live like you want. Suck the booze. Get high. Party all. Invite all your friends to come with you. It's a very tempting gate. It's, it's tempting. It's a, it promises you escape and pleasure. Doesn't the drugs and bottles do that? It promises escape, doesn't it? It promises pleasure. That's what the drugs and the booze and the heroin and the crack do. But on the other side of it, death. Death. That's what's on the other side of it. Satan's like the bottle or your wife, the heroin or your job. Just one more drink, you'll forget it all. To the drug addict, the crack, the crystal meth, the fentanyl, or your family. Just one more hit, you'll be fine. You'll forget it all. That's right. You see, the wide gate doesn't want you to think about the consequences of the sinful choices. We live in a society that favors self-indulgence. <clears throat> Did you ever notice that when your desires inside of you start to speak up, how you begin to listen very intently to those desires until they become a demand? Here's the problem. We need to be honest. We enjoy sin. I know that hurts, but it's the truth. For the person who struggles with addictions, whether it's drugs or pornography, they like that lifestyle. They don't consider the broken relationships that follow it. One other problem with the wide gate appeal is that with each indulgence, each tip of the bottle, each hit of the crack, the meth, you become to feel less and less satisfied, don't you? And at the same time, you are persuaded that that object you're romancing, that crack, heroin, booze, is the only thing that can satisfy your needs and cravings. Am I right? Let's bow our heads this morning. I know this was... As I say many times, as my father-in-law said to me, it's hard to fit in the ear, but it's the truth, and you know it. You have a choice to make. You can go through the wide gate, or you can go through the narrow gate. You can take the wisdom of God's word, surrender your life to Christ, and you'll have a new identity. No more identity crisis when you belong to him. Or you can say, you know, Jesus says, you are of your father the devil. You do the things of your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and the truth is not in him. Right? If you're here this morning, it doesn't matter how much sin you've committed. It doesn't matter how much drugs, alcohol, booze. He can take it away. He went to the cross to pay your sin debt in full. You only have to repent and surrender your life to Christ. There's no magic formula. You don't need to learn the Pythagorean theorem or anything like that. There's grace and mercy with Christ. He went to the cross for you to bleed and die. And he had an unmerciful beating for you. Listen, church, we have no clue what it would have been like to be chained to a stone and lashed 39 times with a flagellum where your flesh is hanging off your body like ribbons. Blood everywhere, your spine exposed, a crown of thorns beaten onto your skull. Then you have to drag a beam through the, the, the street, street to Golgotha and then you have nails through your wrists and your feet and you're, you're hanging there, you're bleeding and dying on the cross. It's amazing. There's no special secret formula. It's repent and believe. Place your faith and trust in what Christ has accomplished for you on that cross. Someday, you need to understand, someday you're going to drop dead. 
Unless the rapture comes, someday you're going to drop dead. And you're going to have to stand before that Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And you and I are going to have to give an account of everything we did on the earth, whether good or evil. That's, that's what's in the scriptures. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, church. And there's going to be one question. When you're standing there, imagine for a minute God saying, why in the world should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you in here? The videotape shows every single sin you've committed since you knew what sin was, seven or eight years old or longer. Here's all the sin that you've committed, every hurled out profanity out of your mouth, every lie, everything here. Here it is. But then you can say, well, on the other side is my advocate. He bled and died, and he took every filthy, rotten thing. He took the worst about me, and he placed it on Jesus. He took the best about Jesus, and he places on me, so therefore I can come into heaven, not because I deserve it or earn it, because of what Christ accomplished for me on that cross. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Have you placed your faith? If you say you belong to him, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you have confidence in everything that he has done for you? If you do, you, the Holy Spirit indwells you. By the way, in the Bible, that, that, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you, if you're born again, is permanent. You carry God with you wherever you go. Amen. Wherever you go. Amen. He's with you. He sees everything you see. If you're here today, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Christ as he has been freely offered to you in the scriptures. And Father, I pray for everyone here this morning. Lord, now is the time. Now is the time for them to get right with you. Lord, Lord, I, I sense in my spirit the time is short for all of us, Lord. It is so short. I pray the people here will come to their senses and they will cry out to you because you're the only God in the universe that's real that can save. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. Line up there.